Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. You're listening to the Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved media. My name is Thomas Clark, and this is Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. My brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe... Aang can save the world. Today, we will be discussing The Legend of Korra, Season 1, Episode 3, titled The Revelation. This is a great episode. I I love everything about this thing. Like, we're finally out of the piloty establishment phase of this first season, and now we're actually kicking off the main story. Now we're actually kicking off the core narrative of this show, and my god, it is off to a great start. My god, it is off to an incredible, incredible opening. Like, first off, I want to briefly talk about uh, Mako and Bolin's shared arc throughout this episode. Because the last episode, it was just establishment. We really didn't get any of the depth or origins, the backstory of those characters. They were just sort of there and they did what they had to do to sort of set themselves up for greater depth down the line. But here, we do have a really, really amazing arc with them, we see, especially with Mako, we see how devoted Mako is to his brother, how the lengths he will go to to protect his little brother when Bolin is captured, or when Bolin joins the triads and then is captured by equalists. And we learn their backstory. We learn that their parents were killed during a mugging. And that Mako and Bolin were orphaned ever since. And they had to uh, join up with triads to survive. And they ended up like having to claw their way out of that deep, dark hole. And now, unfortunately in this episode, Bolin kind of falls back in there again. Uh, It's really, really amazing. It's a really amazing character exploration. It's a really, really fantastic deepening of those two characters who we already grew to like in that first episode where they just sort of introduced them, but now they go full-on compelling as all hell. And this episode tells a really, really fantastic story that kind of hits upon, like, every little aspect of the whole, like, of every conflict. Like, you start off with, like, this innocent pro-bending deal. Uh, The head of the pro-bending arena comes and is like, 
hey, uh, so the Fire Ferrets have to raise 30,000 yuans, otherwise you're out of the tournament. So now, like, okay, we gotta find a way to raise money so we can be in this pro-bending tournament that we really want to be a part of. Uh, <laughs> Mako gets a job at, like, a factory, lightning bending into a hole. Uh, Bolin does a, does a circus act with Pabu, which is really funny. <laughs> and it's just this innocent little, we really want to be a part of this thing. We have to raise money to be a part of this thing story. Then Shady Shin shows up. And is like, hey, Bolin, how about you you come with me and be a part of this triad deal that's going on? Here's a crap ton of money. And Bolin, in his desperation to allow the Fire Ferrets to be in the tournament, decides... Yeah, okay, I'll I'll risk the triad connection. I'll risk sinking back into the triad hole for this really important thing that both me and my brother and my friend, my new friend, Cora, want very, very desperately. So he kind of takes this, like, selfless hit to his own moral compass to go for the triads. And then, of course, this leads to Mako and Cora's big citywide search for him which is really really fun to watch and does sort of flesh out their whole dynamic in a really really fantastic way uh, including what I said earlier of showing the lengths Mako is willing to go to for his brother and going into that backstory of their parents being killed and it just like goes on this roller coaster ride through like all different dynamics, all different conflicts of Korra. Like then it sort of escalates from the innocent probending stuff to the crime syndicate storyline, the uh, triad storyline. And they talk to these kids who extort Mako for some money so that he can tell. <laughs> he can tell Mako the information of what Bolin was doing here and why he left. Which is really, really, like, here's what I love about Legend of Korra. They go so modern that now, like, there's elements here that, like, feels like a straight-up crime movie. Like, Legend of Korra is so ingrained in modern... In modern dynamics, in modern ideas, in modern society. At least more modern than After the Last Airbender. That you see, like, this type of plot and it's like, this is a crime movie. This is a straight up crime movie. Within the Avatar world. And it's awesome. And I love it. So they go on this search for Bolin, they're like, oh crap, uh, Triad's muscling up and Bolin got caught in the middle of it. Uh, so we'll go to the triple threat HQ. Oh no, they're captured by Equalists. Now this has escalated even further into now, like, we've gone from this innocent pro-bending story to 
triad story, like, full-blown crime movie. Now it's escalated to the top-tier conflict of this show. Now it's equalist stuff. And there's this really, really amazing chase with the chi-blockers. And subsequent fight with said chi-blockers that I absolutely adore. This sequence is really, really well done. And I love everything about it. It's so... Freaking good. I also love how Korra, like, had never been exposed to chi-blocking before. And, like, she realizes, oh, no, I can't bend. And almost has this, like, mini, almost freak out, this semi-freak out. And Mako's like, hey, hey, relax. It's fine. It'll wear off. Those were chi-blockers. So then, of course, like, they follow the only lead they can possibly follow. And go to this one idiotic protester dude from the first episode. (laughs) And I love it. Like, this protester guy is an idiot. He's the biggest, dumb, stupid, mick, dumb face ever. And watching Korra rough him up to get information on where Bolin could be, it's awesome. (laughs) It's really, really amazing. Like, it's such a funny moment. And then, of course, they uh, see the flyers for... The Revelation! And they're like, okay, that's probably where Bolin is. Uh, They piece together this puzzle as to where it's located, which is kind of awesome. And then we go to said Revelation. Now, this sequence is kind of the turning point. Where you see what they're starting to do. You see what they're starting to set up. With this equalist storyline. And immediately there's a shift from, oh, this is an innocent, fun time. Not as deep as Avatar The Last Airbender, but still a nice, fun addition to the universe. To, oh my god, I am terrified for the state of this world and these characters. Everything about this is soul-crushing. Oh my god. (laughs) So, they go in... To this equalist gathering, the Revelation. They're in the middle of this crowd, disguised. Then Amon shows up. And it's during this speech he gives that we start to realize how menacing he truly is. Because up until now, it's just been, oh, he's some dude in a mask, whatevs. But now he just becomes actually scary. He becomes an actually terrifying villain. So he gets up, talks about how Bending's destroyed the world. Uh, He gives his origin story of, Oh, my family owned a farm and some firebender extorted us. And then when my father stood up to him, he killed us all and took my face. That's why I wear a mask. More on this later. And like right there, you get... Solid motivations for Amon. So you kind of understand where he's coming from. And then they make him even more terrifying. They make him a genuine threat by saying, The spirits have spoken to me. And they've said, The Avatar has failed this world. And they have given me the ability to take bending away. Permanently. 
And then they bring out this line of triple threat triads. Including Lightning Bolt Zelt. And Amon's like, uh, this guy has used his bending to... To, uh... Freaking terrorize non-benders. This guy's the perfect example of a terrible, terrible bender. So, he unties Lightning Bolt Zolt and is like, Defend yourself for your firebending. He does. And fails. And then we see Amon, like, take his bending away. As I said, literally take his bending from him. And when you see that this is something Amon can do immediately you're like oh oh crap this guy's an actual threat this guy's actually scary and he keeps going down the line of taking someone's bending away taking someone's bending away taking someone's bending away going towards Bolin, and, like, this is a type of referencing of the original series that I actually enjoy and think isn't heavy-handed as all hell. Because they took, like, a pivotal plot point of Sozin's Comet, and without even referencing the fact that Aang used it in that finale, they were like, Hey, we're using it for this bad guy. So now you have that reference to the original, yet still having it stand on its own. It's great. It's really, really phenomenal how they take that pivotal plot point and subtly build it into this totally new, totally standalone story. Uh, so Mako comes up with this plan of uh, getting a bunch of steam and forming some cover so that Mako can get Bolin. Uh, they execute that plan. Korra has this one tussle with this bodyguard dude, which is really great to watch. That's a very good uh, hand-to-hand sequence. Uh, they enact this plan. Mako gets Bolin like just before Amon can take his bending away. Uh, and then they... Launch their grand escape. Uh, they have the tussle with this one lightning dude. Which is really, really well done. Uh, and then they end up running away. And Amon lets them go for the str- very strategic reason of... Yeah, she's the perfect messenger to tell everyone what I can do. And here's another thing I love about Amon... He is kind of, like, he is terrifying, but he's also very cold and calculating. He is a very strategic person. He thinks out every single aspect of what he's doing. Like, he he is a serious planner. And that just makes him even more of a, of a believable threat, even more of a terrifying entity. So anyway, they escape the revelation, and then we have our ending, where Korra goes to Tenzin and is like, uh, so I went to an Equalist rally, and Amon can take people's bending away. 
So there's that. And Tenzin's just like, that, I, I don't know how he got that, but if it's true, no, Bender is safe. And then it ends there on that incredibly, incredibly ominous note. Like, my god. It kicked off. It kicked off in a big way. Like, we had our two episodes of Establishment. We had our two episodes of Pilotitis. But now, like, we're just in the meat of it. And it's so good. And I love it. My god. I swear to god. Like, Legend of Korra. Not as consistent. But every bit as good as Avatar The Last Airbender at its best. And I think this episode is kind of the earliest proof of that. And we'll get into more and more significant proof as the show goes on. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's as simple as just a push of a button. On the Anchor app, I will play those on the show from time to time, if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash ThomasClark, pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support this show via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, tomorrow we will be discussing The Legend of Korra, Season 1, Episode 4. Talk to you then.